The hard truth is someone right now somewhere is suffering intensely. People are dying of cancer right now. People are receiving an end-of-life diagnosis right now. People are crashing their vehicles right now. People are breaking bones right now. People are passing horribly painful kidney stones right now. People are being dumped by the person they thought they'd be with forever right now. So how do we look outward and consider others and all that they're going through and not get sucked into the vortex of pain and suffering? Maybe the play theory principle of be present can help. Welcome to episode 138 of the Happiness Playbook, a podcast that helps you practice happiness using play theory, a mindset that helps you develop the skill of happiness. I'm Larie Florence. I'm a mother of five, a wife to one, and a mumsy to three. I direct youth theater and share the life-enhancing principles of play theory with as many people as possible because I believe that happiness can be practiced and that we're all on the same team. So let's go. Before we get into today's episode, it's time for our team huddle. How did you do with episode 137's play of the week? Did you try out one of the four playthrough principles when you were feeling some tension or frustration to see if it could help you feel greater peace and harmony? If you did, we would love it if you let us know. You can direct message us on the Happiness Playbook on Instagram or contact us on Play Theory's page on Facebook. Yesterday, my husband, McKay, was pushing all three of our grandkids on an amazing tire swing at my friend Michelle's house. There were peals of laughter until the almost three-year-old Faye slipped through the center and was hanging on with just her hands to the ropes. McKay and I both tried to stop the swing to catch her before she fell, but it had too much momentum, and before we could get to her, she'd fallen to the ground with a big thud, resulting in quite a big bump on her sweet little face. Of course, there were tears and lots of consoling, and she cried until we got back to our house, where she rushed into her mommy's arms to tell her all about it. As her story of slipping off the swing wrapped up, so did her tears, and by the time she was out of her evening bath, she was all smiles, despite the big red blotch and swollen cheek. She had moved on from the traumatic event. I was struck by how forgiving she was about it. There was no blame or insinuations that someone should have done something differently to prevent the accident from happening. There was no self-incrimination either. She didn't feel bad or beat herself up for making the mistake of slipping off. We had done a good job of explaining to her what had happened and how it had happened and told her how to prevent it from happening again. And that was all there was to it. Little children are so good at this. They're fully present in the moment of pain or injury, and then they move forward afterwards, leaving it in the past. This was a big hurt, and she felt the pain for a while, and she was present with it until it subsided, and then she was off onto her next adventure. 
this morning she came in and asked for a band-aid because in her words, I have a hole in my toe. Bumps and band-aids are par for the course when you're almost three. How much more traumatic would it be for her if she worried about when the next injury would happen? Children are programmed to take risks because they're necessary to grow beyond their current abilities. This ability to be present in each moment and not project into the future possibilities of pain are essential to mitigate what otherwise would be an anxious, fearful existence. I think children are better at being present because they're more limited in their perception. They aren't worrying about the annual tax bill or how they're going to pay for college. They live each day fully in the moment. As we get older, we're more aware of more stuff, like how somewhere on the planet, the sun is shining even when it's nighttime where we are. When I was a kid, my parents would try to guilt me into eating all of my dinner by saying, there are children starving in China. As a young child, I clearly remember thinking, what does that have to do with me and this plate of spaghetti? As a young child, I really did not get how I could be related to a child on the other side of the earth. As I grew and matured and had more life experiences, my empathy and understanding also increased. My first baby arrived after 30 long hours of posterior labor. Posterior means that the baby was facing the wrong way, which made the contractions much more painful. For months after this delivery, I would be struck by a profound sense of awe that somewhere right then in that moment, a moment, a woman was going through the traumatic experience of giving birth. I was so raw to the trauma of my first delivery of a child that I would not be able to carry on in my day without stopping to say a prayer for anyone who was going through that painful event right then whenever I happened to think about it. A few years ago, I learned that my great-great-grandfather had died in his early 50s in a mining accident. I had known that his son, my great-grandfather, had died in a mining cave-in while in his late 30s. He left my grandpa and his three siblings in the sole care of his widowed wife, my great-grandmother. Sometimes, thinking about what happened to them long ago before I was alive can leave me feeling sad. It can also leave me feeling grateful that I haven't had to work in a mine or died in a mining accident, and that my relatives, despite their ill fortune, were able to provide a way for me to be born here in America with the opportunities that I now enjoy. Some people try to deal with the unpleasantness of awareness of the suffering of others by denying its existence. They ignore it, look past it, justify that others deserve to suffer. The Victorian era was rife with the invalidation of others' sufferings as witnessed by the workhouses and decrepit orphanages. I'm currently working on a script for this fall's show 
A Dickens of a Christmas. It's been interesting to research Charles Dickens' motives for writing this timeless classic, or his timeless classic, A Christmas Carol. As a member of Victorian England, at the time considered to be the high point of decency and decorum, Dickens was amazed to witness so many of his fellow men and women turn a blind eye to the very real suffering of families and children. The Victorian era's beliefs that someone in pain was being punished by a just God gave justification to ignore and even celebrate another's pain. While I was traveling in Thailand, a Buddhist explained to me that according to her beliefs, everyone living now was experiencing the fruits of their previous lives. So if someone was suffering, it was because they'd been evil in a previous life. And if they were enjoying a good life, they'd been a good person in a previous life and deserved to be treated with respect. These are both interesting rationales to deal with the discomfort of another's pain. How do you deal with the suffering of others? Blame, ignorance, self-justification, denial. These all work in the short run, but not the long term. So what do we do? Do we constantly sit in sorrow and anguish in support of all that are currently suffering? That only adds to the suffering and shuts us off from the opportunity to ease another's burden because we're too down to do anything to help. Let's apply the play theory principle, be present, and see how it can help. When you're physically with another person who is suffering, then yes, be present with them and acknowledge their struggle and offer support. But this doesn't mean that you have to suffer the same thing that they're suffering. Just acknowledging that they're in pain is often a huge help and comfort. With my granddaughter Faye, when she fell off the swing, it was consoling for her to hear me say, I'm sorry you got hurt. Your face must be sore. That was scary. After saying those things, I could then say comforting things like, You'll feel better soon. You're going to be okay. You're safe now. If I had said those things before I'd acknowledged her pain, though, she would have felt invalidated. Being present can help us see where another person is so we can let them know that we see them and that we see their suffering. Being present in our own lives can also help us find balance in a world that can feel like it's careening down a steep embankment at ever-increasing speeds. Do you remember riding on a merry-go-round? The closer you got to the center, the less force you would feel pulling you towards the edge. If you could make it all the way to the center, it was a totally different experience compared to the effort exerted to hang on while sitting or trying to stand on the perimeter of the spinning disc. When we can be 100% present in our lives, it feels like getting to the center of the merry-go-round. The more centered we are, the more manageable things feel. We see things more clearly. It feels like we have more time. There's balance, and we're able to proactively make choices rather than 
reactively just barely hang on for dear life, hoping to not be flung off the ride with the ever-increasing gravitational pull. It's tricky, though, to find the balance between being present and not being too self-focused or ignoring others' pain. We all need to focus on ourselves in order to survive, but if we don't look beyond ourselves, we will never find true happiness. Truthfully, as an empath, I struggle with this one. It's hard for me to take the time for self-care when I could be serving others who I perceive as suffering and in need. But the reality is, when I'm not present enough to take care of myself and I neglect my needs, notice I said needs, not wants, then I end up not being able to help others because I've spiraled into a place of neediness myself. Remember that uneaten spaghetti on my childhood dinner plate? Being present doesn't mean eating it so that the starving kids in China won't feel bad because I wasted food that they couldn't eat. Being present also doesn't mean denying that there are hungry kids somewhere going without food, even as I enjoy my dinner. Maybe it does mean being present with my real needs and being in tune enough to only take the amount of food I need so there isn't waste and there's more for others, and also so that I can be healthy enough to have energy and well-being so that I can look outward and do something to help others who then may eventually be in a position to help those kids in China all the way on the other side of the globe. Stephen R. Covey had a great way of defining this idea. He called it mastering your sphere of influence. And doing that will take being present with your needs, your abilities, your opportunities, and your responsibilities. Looking beyond the mark at all of the world's needs only lessens your ability to meet any needs including your own. So for this episode's play of the week, let's be present and really look at how we can lessen suffering by being better at self-care so we can be in a better position to care for others who are in our sphere of influence. For you moms, that may look like getting enough sleep so you can have more patience with that rascally four-year-old who needs so much of your attention during this time of development. For you teenagers, maybe that's taking a hard look at what you're choosing to eat on a regular basis. Be present with your choices and notice if you can make more nutritious ones that will help you feel better emotionally and physically so you can be better equipped to look outward and support others around you. Imagine if everyone on Team Planet Earth did this. So much suffering would cease and we'd all be in a much better position to help any suffering that remained. Navigating life on this big spinning orb can definitely be tricky. 
using the play theory principles can help us sort out some tough things like how to help others who are suffering by being present with our needs so we're in a better position to help others. Remember when you're on a plane and the stewardess gives that little safety speech? When the cabin loses pressure and the oxygen masks drop, we need to put on our own before we assist others. If we lose consciousness, we're of no help to anyone else, including ourselves. Thank you for listening. Again, for summer with travel and my grandkids moving in, I'm only posting every other week. So that means you'll have lots of time to practice this episode's happiness tip or play of the week. And that's what it takes to master something, focused effort and application, also known as practice. So let's do this because remember, Happiness isn't something that happens to you, it's something that you make happen.